But anyway, Tweet Talk, episode 16. It's lit. Yeah, we in here and we are the source. <laughs> Got a special guest tonight, Tasha of Goddess Day. Hello, hello. Yep, yep, yep. And I think when we start off, I think we should kind of introduce ourselves. I don't think we ever really, really introduced ourselves on this podcast, Charles. So I'm Raphael. I am writer, blogger, and now podcaster, Todd Capital Investment Club member. It's lit. Yeah. And as always, my co-host, Charles Oglesby, a.k.a. Todd Millionaire, Todd Millie, Todd Billy, or whatever he feels like today. <laughs> Found in DJ Khaled, the DJ Khaled of the investment community. <laughs> we the best. And Tasha, please let the people know who you are and your background and what they really need to know about the work you do. All right. So hello, everybody. My name is Tasha. I am the CEO of Goddess Day, and my job is to help my clients create financial systems that increase their net worth consistently and reliably. Um, I love the work that I do. I think that everybody deserves um, to be able to experience financial freedom um, as long as they're willing to put in the work for it, you know? And when I say work, you know, a, a lot of times when I tell people to do the work, they don't know what that means. They think that I'm telling them to go work hard, but really I'm telling them to do the work to understand that you're worthy of wealth and you should act like it. So um, I look forward to doing to uh, this podcast and letting you know a little bit more about who I am and what I do. I think you need your own podcast. Mm. I, I think so too but that's just sounds like more work it's a commitment why are you over here trying to give me more work <laughs> talking to my boyfriend about our the podcast that we did a couple weeks ago i was telling him how good it was and he was like wait a minute why don't you have a podcast oh boy oh boy it's a vital piece of the brand these days, but no, no extra work if you don't want it. Right. I'm not telling you to do the work. I'm telling you to, what did you say? <laughs> I forgot what you said. Ah, it's, not hard, it's not hard work. That was a nice try, though. That was, that was almost <laughs> real good. <laughs> Using my, trying to use my own words against me or for me. So where are we? Host Raphael. Well... First of all, um, let's let the les listeners know that they can uh, sign up for a free consultation call with Tasha and Goddess Day at goddessday.com slash tweet talk. That's G-O-D-E-S-T-E dot com slash T-W-E-E-T-T-A-L-K. Get a free 30-minute consultation for financial coaching. And trust me, it's worth it. So, Tasha, so you saw, said before, you saw, yeah, I saw you said on Twitter one time, when I start to believe in my self-worth, it will reflect in my net worth. Explain that one. So, 
that kind of relates to what I was just saying about telling people to do the work. And the work starts with understanding your self-worth, understanding that you the shit and you deserve every good thing. When you believe that about yourself, your work ethic is different. You know, the way you walk into a room and your presence is different. And because of that, when you start to stand in and operate inside of your own worthiness, your net worth has no choice but to follow. So that's what I meant by that. Pretty simple and straightforward. Mm. I like that. Would you get that put on a t-shirt? <laughs> Self-worth and net worth. I'm um I'm working on a line of t-shirts that are branded with goddess say I want to just start wearing my brand you gotcha. know so I'm I want to have all that stuff it's it's coming That's cool got to let us know got to let us know I sure Ooh. will <laughs> So Charles you said retirement to me is not working Mm. Return to no return to me is not not working. Not working. Right. Return to me is financial freedom when the passive income is greater than the living expenses. So a long time ago I read this book, and the book was called Retire Young, Retire Rich. And it introduced this concept to me about retiring yourself so that you can get rich. And one of the main premises that he said is one of the downsides of having a job is it gets in the way of getting rich. And I realized that because we have jobs and our jobs kind of niche us into just performing a set task. But me taking today off, I'm over here looking at how can I turn this $55 million skyscraper into something that's worth 125 million and ultimately make however much money we make in the process. You don't have those thoughts when you're commuting to a job, sitting at a job, waiting to get off from that job. And so like, that's one of the things is I have to get out of the nine to five so I can truly put all my energy, intellect and effort into just creating wealth. But the real premise of that tweet was somebody who made a point. He said, Hey, I can retire at 40 with two to 3 million, or I can retire at 50 with eight to 10 million. And I was like, that's stupid. Like, I'm trying to make money when I'm retiring as well. Like I'm not over here retiring to do nothing. I'm not lazy. I don't want to just like retire so I can sit on the beach. I want to retire so that I have the free time to truly go out there and create the wealth. And a lot of us have it backwards. We're trying to get rich and we think that rich equals retirement. But no, retirement equals retirement. Retirement is financial freedom. Retirement is when you don't have to work. Retirement is when the income that you have that comes in outside of your job pays for you to live. So then you can then use your time that you're dedicating to live, to actually create businesses, to invest, to buy assets, to create cash flow. That's what I'm looking to do. So that was kind of what I was saying is a lot of us have it backwards where we're looking to retire so that we can do nothing. And I feel like that actually is the thinking that keeps you working forever because it's not the people who, it's like I was listening to, I was listening to Eric Thomas this morning and he was saying that talent alone doesn't get you to the league you have to have talent and work ethic at the same time you have to have that dog as he said 
And so a lot of us were lazy. And if you're lazy, you're not, not likely not even going to put in the time and the effort to get retired early. Retirement early is an accomplishment. And a lot of us are just like, uh, I don't really like working. So I'm going to try to get rich. And those are the people that take shortcuts. Those are the people that gamble. Those are the people that do the things that actually end up setting them back. And so for me, it's like, I love work. I don't want to not work. I just want to work for the stuff that I'm passionate about. I want to work to get, make my community rich, not my boss rich. And so that's my goal. My goal is to really put in that effort to free myself of having to clock in to survive, to then be able to just wake up when I want and do what I want to truly create the world. That's kind of what that tweet meant. What you think, Tasha? Um, that was, it was so much good information in what he just said. So when you're listening to the podcast, I want you to run stuff back. When you hear something that has so many consistent nuggets of, of good information, run it back, listen to it like you would your favorite song over and over and over until it gets into your subconscious and you understand this backwards and forwards, because that was a lot. I want to add some yin to the yang because I know that Charles has this like crazy, insane work ethic. And I'm all about ease and flow and doing things that I enjoy. But one of the things that he said was that I love work. And I think like there has to be a level of alignment with self when the work doesn't feel like work. So what I want to bring to your attention is that when we're talking about retirement, when you're living a life that is aligned with who you are to the core, there isn't even the such thing as retirement as we know it today. That doesn't even exist. It's not even something we're not aspiring to not work because we love what we do so much. So when I was listening to what he was saying, I started to completely redefine my definition of retirement to have nothing to do with whether I'm working or not, but have everything to do with whether I have to work or not. Because I want to work regardless. But the question is, if I, if I don't work, am I good or am I worried? And that's how I'm redefining my definition of retirement because the truth is, I love working. I love what I do. I don't aspire to some time 30, 40 years in the future where I can finally stop working. That doesn't even exist for me. I take vacations when I want to take vacations. I don't have to wait for that. So cool. that's what I think about it. That's cool. Life is boring without work anyway. I mean. I'm, I know it's like life is work. But we have a definition of work that makes it seem so burdensome. And it's like, I mean, I really, alignment is everything. Finding something that resonates with who you are and having that exist out in the world. We be so right. busy. We be so busy in this rat race that we don't even listen to all those ideas, all those callings, all those urgings that are living inside of us ready to make us multimillionaires. Because you clocking in on somebody else's dream, not to knock it, but I'm saying you want to listen to, you know, those things that are inside of you waiting to get, waiting to be let out. You want to work. You can't wait to work. You just been working on the wrong stuff. Right. Speaking of vacation, this guy, uh, 
we finally got this guy back off the yacht, you know, off the boat. <laughs> Man, he been living it up. You saw him on Instagram, right? Sure did. He made sure we knew he was living it up too. <laughs> he was talking about that too. I was saying, like, how your wife let you post that much while you're on vacation, man? Got, like, the Instagram story was full of pictures. Like, man, still working. You know, All right. It, it, it was so much to take pictures of. That's kind of the reason why I was taking pictures. It's like everywhere you turn, it's like something you never seen before. So I just had to take pictures. I was just enjoying you guys' vacation by carrying <laughs> Meanwhile, he's over there like, hmm, I wonder how much this yacht costs. It's <laughs> Capital Yacht Club. <laughs> he's getting the brand together. She's like enjoying the view. He's like, got the wheels turning. I like yeah. Capital Yacht Club. That's exactly how he be. Next thing you know, on the website, it's going to be a yellow yacht. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. Yellow yacht. Yeah, of course. Come to Todd Capital. We got the yachts, baby. We got the yachts. We got the yachts. <laughs> oh, my God. Talk about building a brand. That I like it. We got the yachts. <laughs> oh, Natasha, you said um, as you get clear about what you want and you focus on that, the other things in your life will be exposed for what they are. Trivial, unimportant distractions. So I, one of the things I always tell my clients is that if you don't tell your money what to do, there are people who are paid, marketers who are paid to tell your money what to do. They want your money out of your pocket and into their cash register. So when I tweeted that, I was thinking about how can I make sure more people have more of their own money in their own pockets? Um, so that was kind of the motivation behind it. And I know that a lot of times when I tell people to cut back on spending, they think that I'm coming from a place of like a poverty or a lack mindset. But really, it has nothing to do with the spending and everything to do with the values. I want people to get in touch with what they really value versus what society tells you you should value. And so when you start to focus on the things that make you happy, the things that get you excited, the things that make your heart skip a beat, and you focus on those things, you won't be distracted by the things that other people are trying to convince you that you want or trying to convince you that you need. And then all of a sudden, not only do you have more money in the bank, but you're happier, you experience more abundance, and your mindset is more abundant as well. Cool. Anything you want to add, Chris? I was listening to Umar, Dr. Umar Johnson recently mm-hmm. talking about how like um, we've been taught to value things instead of becoming like a valuable person. And that's kind of what I hear when I, when I hear her talk about that, which I think is, is interesting because in a lot of instances, a lot of what we spend our money on isn't necessarily what we want or what we like or what's going to make us feel better. It's what they tell us to want, like, or what's going to make us feel better. And 
if we can just shift our value system, a lot of this is like shifting our value system to really value what's valuable, to value buying the asset before buying the stuff. Um, I think that that's really important. That'll help us go further. And another thing that I, I think we need to shift, and this is a point that was made earlier that I wanted to kind of chime in on, is it's just like before we kind of saw like work as a burden. And I think that that is a flaw. I think that um, it's kind of like when you're growing up, like your your parents or your whoever else, like work wasn't seem like something they enjoyed doing. It's something they suffered through. And they just couldn't wait to get to the weekend. They couldn't wait to get on their vacation. They couldn't wait to get on that. And I feel like that's a backwards way to live life um, because you don't get the actual rewards when you are just kind of short, shortcutting your work. You get the rewards when you fall in love with the work. When you are a student, I, I always tell the story, I was telling this story to I think my sister. When I was in college, I was dating this one girl. And every time I hit her up, I was like, what are you doing? I'm studying. What are you doing? Studying. What are you doing? Studying. What are you doing? Studying. And now she's a doctor. But it's because she just fell in love with the process. She didn't do anything but that process. And so the, the same is true with wealth or income or creating change in a community. We got to fall in love with the work of changing our community and not just hoping that it, it someday happens. Because if we fall in love with the work, the change is going to come. And so that's one of the things we need to really change. I think too often we like, we connect work with slavery. And so people are like, oh, nah, I don't want to be a slave no more. So I'm not going to work. Like, no, that's not kind of what slavery is, brother. Slavery is working and not getting paid and getting whipped. So if you are getting whipped and you are getting paid, maybe the work isn't so bad. Maybe, I don't know. So <laughs> just, I don't know. I think that we have to really I always say it's not, it, it, a lot of this is just mindset stuff. If we can focus on the mindset, we can really get a lot of the things we say we want. So this is really important because I know a lot of people are going to be listening to this podcast and they are in jobs that they don't, they do not like. They're doing stuff that they don't want to be doing. Work is a struggle and a burden for them. What would you say to them? Well, how would they start to turn around their situation? You know, what's the craziest thing. I think two things. The craziest thing is that uh, Jamal was, he just got promoted at Morgan Stanley, but this guy had some bad jobs when he got out of college but he just kept a good attitude and kept hustling. I feel like the most important thing that you could do if you're at a job that you hate is give it your all. Because it's either gonna open up opportunities for you or you're gonna become so good that you like work your way out of that job. And I think that if, if you have a bad job and you perform poorly, you're probably gonna stay at that bad job or get fired. But you have to give everything that you touch 120%. I think that that's what I've seen personally and that's what I think is going to allow people to win. You've got to like shine wherever you are, thrive wherever you are. You've got to blossom where you're planted. And then you're going to walk into new opportunities. You aren't going to realize it's happening, but it's going to happen. You just got to trust that it's going to happen. And me looking back on my younger self, I'll tell you that it's going to happen. If you just, instead of always looking to the next opportunity, just dominate where you are. I think that you're going to walk into what you really want out of life. And imagine the type of, mental dexterity you are developing in yourself when you learn how to thrive wherever you are now you are becoming somebody who you are not at the effects of your circumstances you are your circumstances don't control you you control the circumstances right that's what i think and, is like everything and not only that it's like if you are working where you are now and you're doing 40 hours there i think you got to be 
in your off hours building what you want. And so I always used to think that you could only do either or you could only be good at your job or you can only be good entrepreneur. But I think you can do both. In fact, I know you can do both. And I think that that's what I would challenge anybody listening to this to do is become a great investor and a great employee, become a great business owner and a great employee, work on the weekends, work in the evenings. Like if you really want it, you got to hustle like outside of the nine to five. The nine to five just is like Jay-Z says, how you survive. But if you want to thrive, if you want to live it to the limit and live it a lot, you got to do the stuff on the weekends and the evenings because that's going to be, you can work more outside of your job. You can ever work on your job. We can't, you can't blame 40 hours for why you can't get ahead because there's like 260 in a week. I think that number's wrong. It's like 175. Like, oh yeah, 168. So there's 168. You work 40 of that. Out numbers randomly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like you still have two other lives that you could be living. Let's say, for example, you sleep for 40 of those hours or you sleep for 60 of those hours. You still have so many hours to really get it how you live. You can work a whole other full-time job. And the crazy part about it is there are Hispanics and Asians and Africans. That's exactly what they do. They don't just work one job. They don't just work one full-time job and say, well, I worked a full-time job. I guess I'm just going to be poor forever. Like, no, they're like, oh, I got a full-time job and a full-time job. I got a full-time job and a part-time job. I got a full-time job and a full-time job and a part-time job. They're kidding. <laughs> I mean, if that's, if you about that life, feel free. I, I was working in corporate America and I was like, you know what? I quit. I was working at a Fortune 50 company and I was just like, I'm not about I'm not about this struggle bus life. But the amount of work that I have to put in in my own business in order to sustain myself is not something that most people would be willing to do or would be able to do. So you gotta know if you really about that life. You gotta know if you're really willing to bring all of you to the table before you go chucking up the deuces at the job like I did. And there are a couple, it's two things I want to say about this idea about work. Your work is a reflection of who you are, period. Um, I tell my nephews when they bring me their homework, I want it to be neat because their work is a reflection of them. When they bring me their work, I want to make, I want them to be sure before they ever show it to me that they've checked it and that they believe in their answers because their work is a reflection of who they are. And it was one more. Oh, the other thing I want you guys to do is if you are at a job you don't like, I want you to find something that could be a stepping stone to something that you do like, whether it is, you know, you can learn communication skills here. You can learn how to be better with money here. You can learn how to um, have people who don't like you learn to love you and promote you. Do you know what type of skill that is? So just look to see, like, what can you develop in this position that'll help elevate you for whatever next position you want? All right. So, Woo. all right. That was kind of a lot there. I like what you guys were saying. Like uh, Charles was saying, you got to blossom where you're planted. And Tasha was saying, you're in control of your circumstances, not the other way around. She also said, you got to be able to bring all of you to what you do. Good stuff. And I just want to say that you mentioned Jamal. That was actually my favorite episode of the Top Millionaire podcast. For those who uh, already listened to that, the, the mystery episode where you talk about career hacking. Yeah, the mystery episode. 
Yeah, we said episode question mark, which was funny as hell because he forgot which episode number it was. But if you guys could look that up, the Top Millionaire Podcast episode question mark, career hacking with Jamal Vitos. That was a good one. What's interesting about content is you never know what content is going to hit somebody. Like the shows that I think are like, ah, somebody was like, I love that show. Like somebody cited the Mobile Home Elite Investors podcast episode. And I was like, I thought that was a good show, but I didn't know it was like life-changing show. Um, mm. So it's like, I think that's why you, in in creating content, your most imperfect content can hit the hardest. And so it's like, it's don't hold back and say, oh, well, I'll create a podcast when I have a podcast editor. I'll create a podcast when I have everything lined up, when I have the greatest graphics. So it's like, you, like there's somebody who needs what you have to say, Tasha Gottesday. There's somebody who needs you in their ear once a week and you could change lives and it'll take you an hour. I'm going to do it. (laughs) You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) Tasha and the Gotta Stay podcast coming soon. We got her commitment. It's lit. Let's take a quick break. This is Elwood of Mindset Matters Tees. We offer merchandise with quotes that help shape your mindset. You can find us at www.mindsetmatterstees.com. Let's. <laughs> All right, what's the next tweet? I'm excited. Woo. <laughs> Can't stop right now. Well, first, before we get to the next tweet, Tasha, let let's let's talk about. Oh, I did hear it. I hear you. You didn't say Tasha. <laughs> oh, come on, man! It's the accent. <laughs> I'm like, I know I heard you saying my name different, but all right. At least I'm not Erica Williams. Oh, well, I shouldn't yeah, say she's, she's not very good with with names. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't say that. But <laughs> money man do. <laughs> Charles. You know Oldsby. what? <laughs> You know what? She actually started saying his name right recently. <laughs> Nita. But she gets, yeah, House Hunters. And she's like, is only house one hunt- House Hunter? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know why she, I was like, why does she, maybe she has, I don't know. She's you know, I don't want to make fun of her because I think she's amazing. Like, she opened my eyes to a lot of things. And she's rich. Eric, Erica Williams is the good goat, six six-figure YouTuber. But I was listening to her one time and she kept saying ideal, ideal, ideal. And I'm sitting there listening. I'm like, why does she keep saying ideal instead of idea? And she said like she had she had a speech impediment from when she was a kid. I'm like, mm. I used to notice that too. She didn't say ideal. But I would just I'd just be rolling with it. I'm like it still doesn't quite make sense to me, but okay. Well, she's okay. still a six-figure YouTuber, so let right. that motivate you, Nobody really cares. But anyway, Tasha, let us know, when people come to work with you, like, what are the first few steps when they work with you? Or that first call? So, for those of you who listen, who are listening right now, you have an opportunity to set up a free discovery call with one of my coaches that means that for 30 minutes you are going to have a dedicated 
coach whose job it is is to listen to you and provide financial solutions to whatever it is you're going through right now. Um, and they'll also give you an opportunity to work with us and they'll tell you exactly how we can serve you. So how much we can increase your net worth over a 12 month period. So when somebody comes to work with us, the first thing that we do is look at how much money we want to save them over the course of 12 months. And I say save, but really I mean how much are they going to save, invest, and pay down debt? Because those are the three major metrics that we look at. We want our clients saving more. Um, and depending on their income, we have specific benchmarks for them. We have a savings benchmark, an investing benchmark, and a paying down debt benchmark. From there, they're going to work with the coach whose job it is, is to create a financial system to help them reach those benchmarks. Um, so that is pretty much the crux of what you're going to start out doing in the beginning. You're going to get clarity around your finances. We're going to create some financial benchmarks for you and your coach is going to create a financial plan and system to help you reach those benchmarks. And our clients have a very high success rate because of the level of partnership that goes into making those plans successful. And so Raphael, I know that you are um, one of our members. And so what was that process like for you? Oh, it's an interesting question. Okay. Um, First of all, I was surprised when my first call, I was with you personally. And I was surprised at how much you said we would be able to uh, bring my net worth up within a certain time frame. And I was like, mm, that sounds a little high. But once I got into it, I was like, oh, she, she knows her stuff. Because you just threw that number out. Like, it didn't take you long. To get to the number i'm like okay she knows this stuff and the coach that i was paired with shout out to michelle i don't know it like it was like a perfect match like she understood she she got she really got me the the west indian caribbean she she was from she's from new york she has caribbean people in her family so we got along quite well and this whole process is not it's not just the coach telling you this is what you're going to do and that's it it's like it's a partnership and it's tailor-made to the individual it really is like you're still in control mm -hmm. of your it's it. your plan still it's still your plan One of i the love reasons it that's why i don't want to cut off this moment right here but one of the reasons why i think that um working with a coach or working with somebody who does this on a daily basis is so important is because this is literally all they do and so they don't just see your finances they also see other people's finances they see what works for them they see what doesn't work for them they literally have like inside knowledge into how to get you to your goal whereas you only know what you've done maybe what your family's done um and so i think that that's kind of a point that i've made on here before but it's so key to work with somebody who can, um, who's just a specialist and a professional in doing these things. It's kind of like going to a barber, like a barber cuts everybody's hair. You just cut your own hair. So um, back to you guys. Yeah, 
I love that you said that <laughs> a lot of people when they first meet with me or with one of my coaches and we throw a number out there, they're like, how do you come up with the number so fast? I'm like, like Todd said, like, this is what I do mm. every day. It doesn't take me long. I could talk to you for 10 minutes and I already know how I can support you. And then we match people with the coach that we think is going to be able to empower them. So when I get like Raphael, after I talk to you, I'm like, all right, he needs to go work with Michelle because I know Michelle is going to know how to get him together. You know, so it depends on like the level of assertiveness, the level of ambition, level of excitement, temperament, and that's how we match with our coaches. So that's just a little small piece of insight into what it's like to work with us. Nice. I love it. I have a question for Tasha. I, and I had the tweet, but I lost it, but I'm going to paraphrase it. And the tweet said something along the lines of, you have a coach who, when she needs to enforce savings, she tells him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, me too. That's why I must start laughing. It could have helped. You said that you encourage the authenticity because it's like if they want something else, they can go to Dave Ramsey. Can you talk about that one? Yeah, so one of my coaches is actually Raphael's coach, Michelle. She tells, like, one of her other uh, clients, she tells him, like, my nigga, you are broke. Like, you can't spend that money this month. Put, put the card down, my nigga. So, like, that's how she interacts with her clients. And I encourage my, I encourage my coaches to be a disruption in their lives because they didn't come to us to do business as usual. And I also encourage them to be themselves. So however you are in life, feel free to be that with our clients. And I said, if, if you are not ready to work with somebody who's gonna be their authentic selves, then this, this program is not the place for you and you should go see Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, or somebody else who cares a little bit more about your feelings. Um, uh, by, by the by the way, that client she's talking about is not me. It's not me because I didn't I didn't think it was Michelle you were talking about because she never said that to me. So it is not me, folks. That's because you be acting right, but when you don't, <laughs> you know, some people they get into our program, but then it's hard to change those habits that you've built over a decade. And so for some people, it takes a little bit more, especially I work with a lot of assertive people. So they are going to push back. And my coaches are taught and trained, like when somebody pushes back, you push right back on them and you let them know, like, I know that this isn't comfortable, but we're here because we want to accomplish something right or wrong. And so that's what my team does. And it's definitely not for everybody. If you are looking to be coddled, if you want somebody who's going to be sweet, I do have some coaches who are sweet. Um, but it's, it's, not, it's not the foundation that we're built on. We're built on a foundation of authenticity. And I try to match people who are going to fit, you know, who's going to have a coach that understands them, and that's going to listen to them, and that's going to deliver what that client needs. That's what's most important to us. 
Yeah. Did I answer your question, Charles? What did you <laughs> want to know about it? <laughs> I think that did, but it speaks to why I promote black business ownership. It's not just about the money. It's about giving somebody a job where they can be themselves, even yes. if using the N-word. Mm. Because so many of us were like, oh, well, they need to accept me. They need to do this. Well, it's like, just build your own business or support the business that are out there that are ran by people like you who are going to love on your natural hair and your natural self. Yes. Um, like, that's why right, it's, right, right. it's wealth isn't just about the money. Wealth isn't just about money to buy stuff. Exactly. So that's what I heard when I said, when, when you said that, which is pretty cool. And to that point, you know, right now, so I have coaches, I have a business development team and I have a sales team and I'm building out my teams because for me, business and growth requires intention. And I don't always have the capacity to pour all of my intention into every area of my business. So I need people who are responsible for that. And as I'm building out my team, I love creating a company culture that I am proud of. That's probably one of the best things about being a business owner, that I get to create my company culture in a way that is like, what do I want to provide for people in the world? How do I want to give people an opportunity to show up? You know, what is, what is professional and appropriate, quote unquote, what does that mean for me? in this business and here it means being your authentic self and being free to show up however you are as long as you're giving 110 percent and producing results mm. bars yeah shout out to michelle again i remember early on in the process uh we were on the call and she was asking me for some progress and i said you know, I had, uh, I got $300 the other day and I put it to savings or whatever. And she was like, where's, where did $300 come from? And I was like, eh, you know, it just came. And she's like, it's, she's like, it's all right. I don't judge. I don't care. Like if you mill, you stripping on the side or however you got the money, I don't really, I really don't care. Like as long as you got the money, I'm like, it ain't like that, but she's too funny. Okay. Raphael the male gigolo. <laughs> nah, nah, let's not put that out there. But anyway, moving on. Moving on. So we're gonna go back to that tweet. I think we talked about this last week, but I want to bring it back again, Charles. When you you said don't compete with me, compete with me. And oh man, I feel like I've talked to this. You, you say? did. You did, but I'm just I'm saying I want to bring it back. I mean, this is why, like, we got, like, Tasha on the um the podcast. Like, we're trying to link up with each other, man. Word. We're not trying to compete with, Ta we're not trying, trying to compete with Tasha. We're trying to, like, partner up with her so people can use her services that, that, that are familiar with us, you know. Mm -hmm. Compete with your brothers out there, man, and your sisters. And come to Todd Capital. Because <laughs> they can afford to chill, we can't. But that doesn't mean we hustle in vain. I love that. That's why I tell people, like, you know, the system, it might not have been made for us, but we are not helpless and we are not powerless. 
And now you say that. I was going to say the next one you said on one of your tweets, the system is broken, but you are not powerless. <laughs> planning is your power move. Explain what you mean by planning is your power move. So if somebody, if there's a race and somebody got a head start, you have to think about how do you give yourself a competitive advantage if you want to be able to catch up? You are not going to be able to catch up with the person who got a head start by doing the things that they do. So you want to look for what can I do that's going to give me an advantage in this race. So one of the things that um, I see is underused is planning. When you plan, you get more foresight. You start to see how things are coming together. Um, and. And it is like, it can be something so simple as planning your meals. It could be so sim something so simple as planning your wardrobe, planning your budget. And when you do those things, you are going to, I tell people, if you started to plan, you wouldn't have to talk to anybody. You will automatically start saving a minimum of $200 a month. Just if you started to plan a little bit more. So I love, I think that there's a lot of power in planning. Um, and I think that when you use it, it gives you a competitive advantage over those who don't. Charles? Um, it, so I think oh, well, I Charles is, well, Charles is, a, Charles is a plan people. So I guess he does. Uh, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not that I, it's not that I don't plan. Um, it's that I do more acting than planning. So there's always a plan. But one of the things that uh, Tasha's statement reminded me of is like the Dave Ramsey zero, zero dollar budget, I think is what he calls it, where, and what, what stands out to me about that budget method is that it lets you know that if you're doing something that isn't in that plan, then you're not within the plan. So if you don't have a plan, and you're out there, out there going to the movies, then it might look like you're still going to accomplish your goals, and you'll end up at the end of the month and be like, "Damn, where'd the money go?" But if you do have a plan and you're at the movies, then you know you're outside of the plan. So then, therefore, when you end up at the end of the month with no money, then you're like, "Oh, why did I broke the plan?" So that's what kind of stands out to me about that. I 100% agree with that statement. And that's exactly oh, oh. the scenario that you put out there. That's exactly what it is intended to have people thinking about. Like when you have a plan, you can see if you are going with it or going against it. Also, if, if you have a plan, like you said, and you're going to the movies, but the movies is, is in the plan, then you can feel comfortable knowing that everything is all right. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel bad about it. You don't have to think about man, is this going to make me bounce a check later on or something? Because it's in the plan. Exactly. It's in the plan. So, Charles, you said, crazy thing about financial freedom is most folks don't even need to replace all their living expenses. If they That's just had... <laughs> you see how we get this, Tasha? <laughs> no, it's I mean, go finish the statement, please. If they just hacked their mortgage, they would be good. So I was sitting here, I was sitting in my Lincoln, I was thinking, and I, I've been since I've been 
I, I didn't go to work today. I've been just been watching like podcast after podcast after podcast. And like, as you listen to podcasts, just gyms, just like, you just get things subliminally. And so I tweeted that. And then I was listening to the podcast and he actually made that exact statement. And I realized like a lot of us spend like 50% of our income and in our, in our living expense, either rent or mortgage. And I was like, you know what? The idea of going completely passive income over your living expenses can be daunting. But if you can just get 1300, 1400 in passive income, that's easy. And that'll position you to do a lot more because we all know, like if you move home with your parents, like it's, it's like a cheat code. You move home with your parents and you're working full time. Like you have great credit, everything's paid off. You're good. And so why not just kind of quasi house hack by kind of doing what I do, which is where we invest out of state and we buy uh, real estate out of state. And instead of trying to like completely eliminate your expenses, you just only take care of your mortgage. So then you are effectively retired, as I say. Once your mortgage is paid off or your, your rental expenses cover, you're retired. You don't have to work. But we're so caught up in like the big, big number that we don't realize that like if you just accomplish that part-time goal or that smaller goal, then that's progress. But it's a very strong progress because then at that point in time, all your working income is going to you. All your working income is going to paying off debt. All your working income is going to saving and investing. So basically what I was saying is like, hey, I'm always this kind of guy because sometimes when the goals are too big, people do nothing. I would rather you have a smaller goal that you can attain than have a big goal that you're just like, oh, well, I can never accomplish that. So I'll just do nothing. I'm like, no, let's, let's, let's take some action towards what we can accomplish now. Let's take some action toward at least getting that, that mortgage paid off. And then once you're free there, that'll allow you to take steps to take care of the rest of those expenses. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we'll be right back. For those listening, uh, you may or may not know that the last time we tried to have Tasha on, there were some mishaps and we weren't able to put out the pod, that episode. Um, but on that episode, what we, we were going to announce the Black Male Wealth Conference. We already Split. announced. We already announced it on Instagram. But um, just want to talk about fire, that. Man. It's going to be fired. So the goal is just to line up a, a whole bunch of powerful speakers that are only going to strictly discuss Black wealth building to Black men for Black women. Period. No minority talk. No. People like, of color. Family talk. People of color. No, like, like for the family. Like, no. Black men on purpose. I can't think of anything that builds up black men on purpose. I, I don't know that it exists. Maybe Morehouse College, but that's about it. And the reason being is, it's just is necessary. It's necessary. It may, it improves everything for everybody. If black men are more functioning and are able to provide for their communities, the community improves. I was listening to a Boyce Watkins podcast. I've been listening to podcasts all day. I was listening to a Boyce, Boyce Watkins podcast, and he made a point that I've always kind of thought. And he said that 
and we all kind of can agree with this, that a lot of times single moms, they raise their daughters and they love their sons. And the way that they raise their daughters is by instilling in them a mentality that there is no excuse, you have to get it done. But the person that's supposed to instill that no excuse, get it done mentality to the son is absent. It's not that the son is incapable of doing it, it's that the person who's supposed to teach him that doesn't exist in the household in that moment. And so I've just, I'm just finding that there are so many issues that are happening in our community that we're just kind of like avoiding. We're just like, oh, let's not talk about it. Black women this, let's build them up. But I'm here to call bullshit and tell you that we got to build up black men just as intentionally as we build up black women. So that's my goal. I don't deem anybody responsible to save my own people, but me. I'm not asking Jay-Z to do it. I'm not asking T.I. to do it. I'm just like, if it is to be, it's up to me. And so a lot of this was kind of like sparked from the conversation that we had. Actually, the idea of the conference came from that, that podcast that got blown up. And so the conversation was really like, hey, I think that women should understand more of the realities of this, the situation of black men so that then we can grow as a family. But I'm starting to realize that women don't care. They're just like, this is what I expect and you either rise to the occasion or not. So therefore we must rise to the occasion and that's what we're going to do. And we're creating this, this conference and the goal is to bring out the star power. I want Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, I want Dr. Claude, I want Dr. Boyce, I want Dr. Umar, I want anybody who is anybody in the Blackwell space to be here giving these brothers the raw truth. I want them to learn about everything, not just real estate, not just stocks. I want them to learn about why marriage is valuable to wealth building. I want them, want them to learn like the benefits of actually raising your mother effing kids. There are benefits that come from being a responsible man. <laughs> There's wealth that comes from being a responsible man. So I just want to kind of fill that gap. And the goal is to do it at a historical black college, preferably Morehouse. Um, and we're gonna bring out the big guns and start the work towards changing the culture. And the idea for that is uh, February 2020 in Atlanta, Georgia. It's lit. And that was uh, Tasha's idea, bringing it to Atlanta. And it was her idea just to do the whole thing in the first place. Well, she, was the <laughs> she was the inspiration. And well, I, mean, I, love it. I love the idea. And I'm looking forward to anything that elevates and promotes Black men is like Something that, something that I am completely in support of. I don't know if we have, if we're going to have female speakers yet, though. We're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Right, the way, why you say that, man? Because she's already trying to be up in there. Well, I was just I, joking. <laughs> 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 I was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be in the building. Um, but I don't, you know, in real life, I was just joking. In real life, I don't think that there's any need to insert myself in a conversation that's for men. If it, if men have not decided that there's something valuable that they could get in that space from a woman. Um, one of the things that you said that really hit me, Charles, when you said it is that, you know, um, men 
have to be I don't I don't exactly remember what the words that you said but it was something like you know men have to get their stuff together and if their stuff is not together women don't care all right all right that's such a I mean that's a pretty big statement to make and I wonder what is the root of these conversations that have men and women in general and black men and black women in particular that have us be so disconnected and disparate and thinking that one group doesn't care about the other and it is so pervasive um well well, before Charles says anything, I think you gotta you gotta think about what he said after right after you said that. He said the woman's gonna say, um, "This is what's expected from you, and you gotta rise to the occasion." That's more when he, when he said that women don't care. It's like it's kind of like women in general. Like when you get married, it's like the wife expects you to hold up your end. And that's it. Like these kids gotta be fed. These like these bills gotta be paid. Like there's no if ands or buts about it. Like, so but you, you, have to look at, you have to look at what what context are you in because you could easily you could also say women do care and men have to rise to the occasion. Period. Mm-hmm. You know. So I, I think the the same can be said about race because that's what I hear when we're when we're here is white folks don't care either and we have to rise to the occasion i just expected women to have be a little bit more empathetic because we can all make the argument you could say oh race this race that race this race that but we tend to kind of take a blind eye when it comes to black men we're just like oh well you're a man you're supposed to get it yourself, but we still don't really acknowledge that in a lot of ways, men get the short end of the stick, but we're still expected to have a full stick. And so me and realizing that like, nothing's gonna change, I realize that I have to change us. And that's the same kind of stance I've taken with black people across the board is like, I, my, all my efforts are at changing like us professionally and, and, and economically, instead of trying to get white people to give us stuff. Because when you benefit from a system, it's very difficult to see how you benefit because you don't want to give up those benefits. And so it's just interesting that we have this conversation and it's unfortunate, but it's like you can make the best argument for all these different things and people are like, I I don't know, I like free dates. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, I I like all this stuff. And I just want us to realize that that's where we are and that's fine, but it's, it's just interesting how people can, people, it's just interesting how people can lack the ability to see how they benefit in certain ways when it's convenient. But I support you, Tasha, go to stay. What's interesting is how blind we are to the power of perspective. Like when you stand in your shoes, that is your reality. Like you stand on one side and somebody else stands on the other side and you say, I see this and the other person is saying, I see that. And really it's just from where you are, you just see what you see. 
And I think that what women have that men lack is the ability to say, I know this is my truth, but that doesn't mean that it is the truth. So when you stand there and you say that women don't care and that women are, um, you know, women are able to benefit from a system, from this system of white male supremacy, that black women are able to benefit from it somehow, but we don't, we don't see that because of our place of quote unquote privilege. It's just, it's so astounding to me. But, and, and not only, but wait a minute, not only that, but to think about from my perspective, all the ways that black women have supported and elevated and loved black men. And only now in the 21st century are black women saying that we want to be loved and supported too. We don't want to have to be the head of the household forever. We want to be, we want to be protected too. And now all of a sudden it's a problem. Well, I feel like the problem with that is that the previous generation was different. And so our, our parents' generation was the I don't need a man generation. And unfortunately, the I don't need a gen man generation created the men that we have today who are now really struggling to be the men that you want. And so that's all I'm saying is we have to look at why they're there and build them up into getting them where they can be without, a, without shaming them for what they don't have. What you say, it sounds so much like coddling to me. I don't do it to women. I don't do it to men. I don't do it to my clients. I wouldn't do it to you. And it is a disservice. There's nothing for me. No, but the thing is, is, is the problem with kind of framing that as coddling is it's actually the opposite of coddling. Because most men get zero coddle. <laughs> they get nothing. They're just out there forced to fend for themselves. But the people who Okay, coddled, let me pause you real fast. Let me pause you. Raphael, what would you say to that? Would you do you agree with that that men get zero coddling and zero love and affection? Love and affection? Yeah. I don't know if we were talking I don't think we were talking about love and affection, but uh as far well, as coddling. Well, what were you talking about, Charles? Because that's what it sounded like to me, that so men don't have... The, 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 same, the same moms that raise their daughters and love their sons also make sure that their daughters are taken care of financially. <coughs> so they get them better cars. They get them... They make sure that they can live at home forever. They make sure that they can do all these different things. Mm -hmm. I know people who are still living at home with law degrees with cars that are paid for by the parents and so my thing is like i don't even shame you for that i'm just saying recognize but okay let that, me pause real fast because what you're saying what you're saying goes against that is when they say women raise their daughters and love their sons what that is actually referring to is that women tell their daughters you need to be responsible and get it together. So that means I'm not buying you a car. Get it yourself. And mm. we do. And it I means don't, I don't you know cannot stay with me. Hold on. And then they say women love their sons, which means their sons are often like the golden boys who have everything handed to them, which is why 
they don't know how to go out and fish in the same way that the women know how to go out and fish. So if we look at who's not getting love from their mother, it's the women who don't get love from their mother, but it benefits us because we get cold and we, because I know, I know this life. I'm a, I'm a firstborn daughter and my, my brother is the baby. <laughs> I know what that's like. Nobody was, the men are so coddled and supported. And so that's what we want I think to that, I think that the interesting thing about this is I believe that we're using the term raise and coddle in two different contexts. In a lot of ways, young men like who are who have who are loved by their moms are coddled in the way that I don't want them to be coddled. Wherein they're allowed to sit up in their mom's house and not be productive. They're allowed to sit up in their mom's house and make babies and smoke weed and do all this ignorant stuff. Versus a lot of women who are raised, but also elevated in the sense that they're also put in position to win. And so I feel like that it's, it's you get tough love, plus you also get financial backing. And so I'm not saying that a lot of, I, I think that we're, we're, we're making the same point different ways. My thing is that, and it might not ever happen, but I've seen in other cultures where in a lot of ways, they promote the sons just as hard as they promote the daughters. And it's not like, oh, well, you're a man, so you can go out there and get it yourself. Because it's not the same world for an African-American man as it is for anybody else. And so you have this guy out there fending for himself and he's struggling and we're just like, well, get it together, Negro. And that's why the incarceration rate is so high. One of the things that frustrates me is we always look at like mass incarceration and we never blame the parents. We never blame anybody else. It's always, oh, it's the white man. Like, no, you don't raise men well. We don't raise men properly. And so they turn 18, they are told they're a man, and they're out there trying to live like rappers without rapper income, <laughs> without financial support from their family, and they go directly to jail. Well, there is definitely a combination of the two. We are not raising our sons well, and there's institutional racism that sends black people to jail at higher rates than white people for right. the same time. So both that of those combination of young men, that combination of the two things really sets a lot of African American men back. And, and so it's like, I just want people to like acknowledge it and then change. If we keep if we keep saying, well, this is just how we do things, despite the failings, we're just going to keep failing and blaming other people. Like, no, we have the ability to change what we're doing. And I'm not even saying it has to be like, nah, stop giving women stuff and only give men stuff. I'm like, nah, just do it equal. Let's just let's just help both of the kids win. But unfortunately, in a lot of families, they have to make a choice. It's like, well, I don't have enough money to help both. So I'm going to act like I'm doing this because I want to. And really, I can't do it. You ever heard like how like some parents, if they're broke, they'll make it seem like they did something on purpose. Like, no, you just couldn't afford it, fam. Like, <laughs> but are you are you saying then that families choose to financially support their daughters instead of their sons? I think that if 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 you have a limited resources and you can only support one, you're going to support the one that needs the most supporting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know nothing about none of this because the community that I come from is poor, poor, poor. So there's no resources for anybody. <laughs> so this is not even something that I'm like, 
I don't know. Everybody that I grew up with just didn't have any money for nothing to nobody. Um, but the girls were raised and nobody might not have had no money, but we were responsible mostly because our parents had us raising the family mm-hmm. while they were gone doing whatever. So that's one of the reasons that women are raised is because we help raise the kids. I had to be responsible because I was raising my brothers and sisters from the time I was 10 years old with no other option. Nobody was about to have a man do that. But I think the point that I'm that I'm trying to make is I don't want men to be coddled. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, because I'm gonna be honest with you, when it comes to the conversation about race, you want black people to be very empowered. But then when we have the conversation about men, it sounds like you play the victim. Mm. I'll accept that uh, I'll accept that criticism. Hmm. I'll accept that criticism. But because what, of who more? you are, you don't stay the victim long. That's why, that's the whole reason you were like, you know what? We're about to do the Black Male Wealth Conference. Because right. we're going to focus on elevating Black men instead of asking somebody else to do it. And I think that is what women want. But it's not because we don't care. It's because we do care. And that is the type of man that's a mother man, you know? somebody who says you know what i'm gonna do this because i can and be empowered in getting to that place so i'm looking forward to it i think it's exciting what kind of topics do you think you guys are going to cover it's a good question and i mean we have to cover the basics of course so personal finance um mortgages I want it to be interesting. I don't want it to be like a snooze fest. Yeah. Um, so I'm not even, I'm not even really sure because I got to figure I would say something like, what qualities do you look for in a wife? Because sometimes I yeah. think, you know, it's basic stuff like picking the right partner that is crucial to wealth building. You know, like what are the qualities that you, you look for? A, you don't want a bad B. No. <laughs> you, want the, you want the right bad bitch in your corner. All right. Um, right. Yeah. You want the right one. <laughs> so I think stuff like that. I think. Like, that's interesting, though. I didn't I think of that one. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think maybe we, I don't think either one of us mentioned that ever. Um, choosing the right spouse, choosing the right that's woman. That's yeah. good. That's good. I would also have something about men showing love and affection to other men because. Um, I mean, contrary to popular belief, women want men to lo- experience love and feel love. And I think that, like, it's so hard for them. And, and they don't, and like you said, they don't get that. And I want men to be, you know, it doesn't have to be gay. Just if you, if you show love and affection to your brother, that you can, you know, let your guard down. You can be vulnerable. You can express yourself. I mean... I don't know how I would directly relate that, that to wealth, but I think it is it is a valuable part of the conversation. Mm. I have to break I, this out and give it some good thought. Yeah, this is this is why we bring this is why we had to bring a woman on the show. Like, I never would have thought of that one. I don't know if we're gonna squeeze that particular one in there. See, this 
but it's something to think about. It's something to think about. First of all, when I talk, you should listen. If I say you should have a conference on this, you should do it. But at the same time, if I was to tell my boyfriend this, he'd be like, oh my gosh, feelings are for chicks. That's what he would say. <laughs> I think that particular one, we might, we might have to skip that one. I mean, because there's a lot to squeeze in. Uh, but that's an I'm interesting one, though. Picking it. I'm like telling you, the, um, what you say? I sound like the picking and mate idea. That one, that yeah, I think. It's kind of weird. See, and ju- just the fact that it triggers you like that, just the fact that it triggers you or makes you think that it's weird, I would encourage you to just think about it because I think that it's one of the biggest areas that men are not in tune with and they don't, nobody gives them permission to be in tune with it. Now, I don't know if the Black Male Wealth Conference is necessarily the place to have that happen, but I wonder where else would it happen? Yeah at the Black Male Feminist Conference. <laughs> Stop. No, I mean, I think you're making a good point. It's just that's how, like... That's how men have it, that this type of stuff is for women, but men need love too. They need to be free to express themselves too. And to do it in a way that is for men, not the way women say men should express themselves, but m- other men who are emotionally secure in themselves teaching men how to be emotionally secure in themselves is going to open up so much for them and it's going to open up so much in their relationships because truth be told the number one reason that women divorce their husbands and women are divorcing husbands at higher rates than the opposite and the number one reason that they're doing that and they're breaking up their families is because they don't feel like they have an emotional connection to their spouse and that's a wealth killer it is. It's definitely a wealth killer. Well, you think about it. I don't know about that one, with the wealth conference, but I'm just I mean, throwing some ideas out there. I support that throwing ideas out there. Definitely, we are open to feedback. We are definitely open to feedback. Because yeah, I, I mean, I want, I want great things for you guys. I want the best for you. cool well i think we're coming to the end yep have we have we missed anything i don't think so i think that was plenty Uh, i think that was a good one um shout out to our sponsors like mindset matters tees uh friends to the podcast the tommy podcast like hood estates of course, Erica Williams. Um, who else, Charles? REI Leads, real estate investing website platform. Also, uh, Trade and Travel. I am an investor, Terry Egioma. And I, I don't know if I'm missing anybody. 24-7 watches, of course. But great show. Thank you, Tasha, for coming on the show. Where can they find out more about you? Where can they follow you? Where can they... Uh, become a partner and work with you yeah if you want to learn more about me and my brand and my company you can um head over to goddessday.com that's g-o-d-e-s-t-e dot com um you can also find me on twitter at finance sis that's f-i-n-a-n-c-e-s-i-s and you can find me on instagram at your finance sis 
Y-O-U-R-F-I-N-A-N-C-E-S-I-S. And you can always Google me at Latasha Kennard. I look forward to connecting with you. Yep, yep, yep. And before, right before we go, shout out to um, Noir b and Yeah. And HBCU uh, Wall Street. I was at their meetup a couple of days ago. Um, and Charles, how was the? Um, oh no, you got you got the um, Todd Capital meetup coming up on Tuesday, right? The twenty fourth is going down. Rashana Scott will be in Los Angeles downtown in Los Angeles at the Lux Lounge. I might have to get Tasha to come out to one of the meetups one of these days, but it's going down flying people out to come to Los Angeles because we don't got nobody out here. <laughs> it's lit. Uh, yep. Tweet Episode talk. Episode number 16. Episode 16 with Raphael and Charles. We are the source and Tasha is also the source. <laughs> Thank you. We are <laughs> we are out. You gotta have time in the market. You gotta have time. You gotta go get your experience, whether you know you're in the stock market, you're in business, you're in real estate, you have to put the time in, you know? So it's important to like keep your cost of living low so then you'll have that surplus to invest and then just take uh take take the necessary steps. But some people don't think that and they think that they gotta have this super high income to get started, you know, and it's crazy because everybody has a weapon and the weapon is your income, no matter if it's you know. $2,000 a month, or if it's $25,000 a month, your weapon is your income. Uh, and you could just use that to multiply. I feel like in a lot of ways, it, it comes down to what you're focused on. Yep. And if you're focused on getting your money right and doing the things that help you get your money right, you're likely going to get your money right. But if your focus is making sure you have the newest and the hottest, you'll probably have the newest and the hottest, but your money won't be right. And then you'll be what over here mad because your money's not right. And it's not because of your circumstances or your lack of income it's literally just your focus what yeah. do you focus on oh that's so that's so important and then what a lot of people don't see is just the delayed gratification like all right i spent a bunch of years not buying designer clothes not buying jordan not buying a bunch of stuff that was high in comparison to the income that i make but now if i were to buy something like that you know it wouldn't bother me at all but it's just like you know so if you like fly shit it's cool but wait till you get the bag first wait till you're secure first where right. you know you're not sweating whether like want to go buy a new outfit or something like all right you just go get your new outfit bro but if you don't prioritize like setting yourself up for the future that one outfit will be the difference of you not having gas money get to work you know yeah. but you're right it's mm-hmm. your focus so it seems like not only have you hacked twitter you've also hacked instagram <laughs> man would you say that the same principles applied to being successful on instagram or is it a little bit different Nah, Instagram is different. Instagram is different. So I got big on Instagram before I got big on Twitter, and then the algorithm came and and um, cut me down, right? Like, so now I don't get as much engagement as I used to. But so what I did on Inst- Instagram, bro, um, it used to have everything in like chronological order, right? So what I would do is I'll post something and then I'll delete it. And I'll post it again, like an hour later, I'll delete it if I was running a sale or something. So every time somebody refreshes, I'm at the top of their page. This is before the hour. <laughs> you know? So if I'm running a sale, like you're gonna see my sale, like, you know, and I'm just gonna keep that going. Or, um, and I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little different on Instagram. You still like the same principles apply. You wanna show people like 
cool stuff or whatever's relevant to them. But on Twitter, what's really powerful about Twitter is like, okay, if I get a retweet when, when uh, Charles had his big account, or if I get a retweet from the Todd Millie account, that's like an endorsement. That's going to go out to thousands of people. And then those thousands of people can retweet me too. So I can grow like kind of quick. But on, mm-hmm. on Instagram, you know, you, you're relying on either getting a shout out from a big page or going to comment. Like you have to actually, actually go um, do the work on Instagram. Where on Twitter, you can, you're, three, you're three tweets away from having 5,000 new followers, you know? Right, right. Um, so it's a little different. It's a little different, but it's still the same. But the most important thing is you find out how these social medias work. You find out uh, how they reward their users. And then you just, that, there goes your hack right there. So you're not just using the platform, you're studying the platform. Yeah, I'm studying. <laughs> Bro, I, wrote, I read a $15 book in 2015, man, that, that probably got my account to about 20,000 followers. A $15 book from some Canadian dude. He was talking about this is how you hack Instagram and, and this is how you can build a brand on Instagram. I'm like, all right, cool. And um, that's what I just put my money up. I, I bought that book and I just started studying everything that he was doing or everything that he was saying. And I'm like, damn, this shit works. And it makes sense, you know, like, if everything that just got posted is at, is at the top, then you want to stay at the top of people's feeds. Right, right. I like yeah. it. So, so you talk about cor- like uh, courses or whatever. So you got the course, uh, was it Six Figure Side Hustle? Yep. Is that the only one you have? Now I have Six Figure Side Hustle, Profit King, which those two go hand in hand, and then Twitter Money. So um, Six Figure Side Hustle, I'm just teaching people how to build product brands, right? So my whole philosophy is everybody, let's say everybody knows somebody that has a clothing brand, right? And for you guys listening, I'm not shitting on clothing brands, but if you're buying a shirt for $7 and you're trying to sell it for $20, $25, your profit margin isn't large enough for you to eventually, you know, make a killing. The people who make killings and clothing brands move into retail stores, right? So when JCPenney picks you up and they order 20,000 shirts and you have a small profit margin, but you're moving 20,000 units, that's how you can make money. But let's say you have like this portable, like you have this portable charger right here. You can buy this for $8 and sell it for $65 10 times a week. Now you got, you know, significant amount of profit. So basically that's what Six Figure Side Hustle and Profit King is about. And then Twitter money, since I was selling these on Twitter, so I'm selling these two courses on Twitter and I'm making a lot of money doing so, like 25,000 a month, right? So what I did with Twitter money is I just basically show people how I hack Twitter. You know, like, how do I get engagement? How do I run sales? How do I, you know, like, just grow my Twitter or whatever? Because in theory, this is like, this is really powerful. If you can take a $0 product, like a course, spend $0 in marketing because you're just using social media and then go make $25,000 a month, like, there goes your ticket to financial freedom right there, as long as you're creative. So I put the Twitter money uh, course together and, you know, I I just let it go for like 50 bucks. Man. Is there a reason why you price your products at a, an affordable price as opposed to like this huge big ticket price? Uh, yeah. So one, I know, I know the type of person that's going to follow me and listen to my message. Right. And these type of people, I would say like me. So for, for my watches, for example, I price my watches at a price that I would shop for. And I do the same thing with my courses. If I seen some dude on Twitter popping his shit and I'm like, man, what he's saying sounds good, but I don't want to risk a thousand dollars. I don't want to risk $2,000, you know, just to find out if he's the real deal or not. But if he has some for 50 bucks or a hundred bucks or 150 bucks, then sure. And I think, you know, psychologically, if 
I'm telling people, yo, this is how you can make more money. It's very doable. Here's all my proof. And all I'm asking for is 50 bucks and they don't cough up that 50 bucks. I feel like they'll feel guilty. Like, man, I'm playing myself. Right. right, right. But it's, it, there's a specific type of person that I'm marketing to, you know, these are the people who are like, either they have similar backgrounds to me or they just, they just like, you know, everyday blue collar workers and they don't really even know if financial freedom is possible, but they want to strive for it. So that's like one part of it is I know who I'm talking to. And then the second part of it is I focus more on growing. So somebody can sell a thousand dollar course and get 15 sales a month, or I could try to sell, you know, I could try to sell a hundred dollar course and then try to run that up times 150. But that means I need to, I need to grow my account. And because I know how to grow accounts, it doesn't bother me that to sell something for 50 bucks or hundred bucks or 150 bucks, because I know every single day I'm going to get a hundred new followers. So if I can convert seven of these hundred new followers to give me a hundred bucks or 50 bucks or 75 bucks every single day, then I'm good. You know, that's dope. That's dope. I have a tweet, Rafael, I'm gonna cut you off again. And I, mm -hmm. I like it a lot. It says, if I woke up tomorrow with $0 in my bank and all my businesses were gone, I would have a 1K by the end of the day. Why? Because I built the skills necessary to always keep money in my pocket. Even if I had to go to the public library to use the computer, learn skills, bro. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. Hey, sometimes I'm that. <laughs> so check this out. There's certain things that you can do in life that nobody can take from you, right? So your knowledge is like one of those things. So if I showed you a word and the word said meeting and I tell you, hey, pretend like you don't know how to read this word meeting. You can't pretend like you don't know how to read it. You know how to read. You have a skill, which is called reading. Same thing. The same thing applies with making money. Once mm -hmm. you have a skill that you could either go offer people and then selling yourself is another part of the skill. You know, you need to go articulate what you can do for people. Once you learn that, there's there's no way that you can't make money, you know. And then if I had to walk down to the library just so I can print out some flyers or do whatever I had to do to go talk to people in a business center or whatever, say, yo, let me build you a website or, you know, I could do this for you. I could do this for you. I, I looked you up online. You don't even have a website, bro. I could build one. Plus I can get you a business email. Plus I can get you social media for $500. I can go talk to 10 people and get hired two or three times. Like, right. you know, and uh, it's just certain things that you learn. And this is why you don't want to like get the hacks to everything. Some things you want to go learn how to do. You don't want, you know, the shortcuts to everything. Because once you learn, you can't unlearn. Right. Yep. 100%. That's one of the reasons why I tell people, like, for first and foremost, doing is a lot more valuable than just, like, thinking and planning. Because that do becomes a skill, and that skill becomes marketable. The other, man, the other is just that I think that in a lot of ways, even education, a lot of people, they downplay it, but education is a business. So therefore, my knowledge of whatever subject that I know allows me to then market that to the world, which then allows me to never, ever be broke because I can just run a sale. I can create a product. A lot of the products that I create are really just my, in my intellect that I package up and sell it. And that's why when Jay Morrison tweeted that thing or he, he said that thing about he can create money out of thin air, I was like, I really I feel that. And you can do the same thing. You do it all the time. Yeah. You say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you how to use Twitter. You're going to charge me. I'm gonna, you're going to pay me this much money. And therefore, I'm going to fill my bank accounts. Man, it's, that's, that's very important that people know that, especially people, you know, of our skin color, they know that if you can make money with your minds, your, your potential is unlimited, you know? So one of my mentors, he's, uh, he's my older cousin, and he had an opportunity to go play in the NFL, but he's an aerospace engineer. He's the smartest dude I know. 
he turned it down and all his friends ended up going to the NFL. His friends lasted two, three years in the NFL. You know, they, they had their fun, they partied, they did all this stuff. He's like, no, man, I just want to work for NASA or work for Boeing. I'm like, damn, but why don't you just give the NFL a shot? He told me something that was real. He said, because if you can make money with your body, if you make money with your body, when your body goes, so will your income. You make money with your mind, you'll be rich forever. And that kind of just stuck with me, man. Like, so that goes you know, to what you're saying, bro. It's like, if you could just come up with an idea, then articulate your idea, market your idea, market yourself, boom, there you go, man. You're just like a walking money bag. What you got That's for cool. us, Raphael? What you got? Yeah, it's funny because that was the f- that was the first tweet of Chris's that I, I had. I bet. I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. It worked out. It worked out because, uh, Charles, you tweeted the folks who won't pay for a degree are the folks asking you to teach how to do the things you sell. And you were talking about how people want want, want to learn everything that you know for free and stuff like that. Well, I mean, honestly, that was kind of a crossover from I was I was listening to that David Better podcast and he was talking about how there is this personal trainer and he has like courses and products and training services that he has that he actually like sells. But people are sliding his DMs and say, hey, man, I'm trying to lose 15 pounds. Can you help me out? And so his thing is, is that's kind of actually like disrespectful because you can go to the link tree and the link tree has all the information you need. But instead, you want to slide in the DMs and then get upset when I tell you, like, no, I can't really help you. Or worse, don't respond, and they really get mad. So that's, that's kind of what that, what that came from. Nothing, right. nothing, nothing, nothing deeper than that, Rafael. Hey, wait, I, I got something for that, too, man. If the, when you say the type of person that won't pay for education, that's why I think that uh, – you know how, like, there's, there's statistics that show you that if you go, off to, if you go to college, you're going to be better off than those who don't go off to college, right? But – I'm willing to bet it's because it's the type of person that will go to college, you know? So if you get like a, a high school kid that's geared for college and geared to go, you know, study something that's meaningful, I mean, you say, all right, bro, at the end of 12th grade year, you're actually not gonna go to college. You're gonna go do something else, right? Because he was the type of person that was gonna go better himself or further right. himself, he's gonna make a killing, you know? So the type of people that don't wanna pay for education, they don't wanna pay for knowledge, they don't wanna pay for anything. These are the people that, you know, They'll blow any opportunity they get. They'll blow. Even if that dude who was selling those fitness courses put out free game, they're not going to take advantage of it. Right. 100%. And that's why it's it's not even so much, like you said, it's not the college. It's actually like the mindset. And the same can be true for people who go into the military. Like they have that mindset of like, I'm 18. Technically, I don't have to do anything, but I'm going to go and I'm going to go into the military. I'm going to go and I'm going to do something else that's going to further me as a person. Yep, it's all about the mindset, man. It's all, and it, it just sounds so cliche and it sounds corny, but that's like, that's real, you know. Like, that's that's what it's about. It's the type of person that wants to improve himself will improve himself. I like it, and it, and it doesn't stop. I think that's the crazy part about it is it doesn't stop. Like, it's not just like oh, I'm done with college, so I'm done improving myself. It's like no, that's a life skill. So I mean, I'm always learning. I'm always growing. I'm always trying to do different things. And the same could be said for you. Same could be said for Raphael. Like. We're always out here. What's the next thing? We're never just content with like, oh, okay, I've made it. So therefore I, I'm good. Like, no, it's like, what's next? Where are we going? What's the next mountain to climb? Man, I, I feel that, bro. That's how, I'm diving into real estate now. You know, I bought two houses and I'm like, man, I feel completely new out here. But I realized I just, I'm following the same process that I did when I wanted to get e-commerce money. I want to get money in stock market. I'm, I'm learning a little bit. You know, I'm going to learn the basics. I'm going to learn the 
learn the fundamentals, but I'm not about to sit back and learn all day. You know, like I gotta put some, I gotta put some, you know, some action behind it. 100%. Speaking of new things, Chris, you started this new uh, thing. It looks like iMac Masters. Yeah. I, I saw somebody on Twitter kind of like making fun or criticizing saying that, oh, this guy is selling eight year old Macs for 300 bucks. Uh-huh. Tell us a little bit about the new iMac And look, this is, this is one thing that I, I make sure I mention this often because this is the way I am. I'm not like a real estate guru. I'm not like this e-com guru. I'm not this, I'm a hustler. So if there's opportunity to make money, I'm going to make money, you know? So that's what I did. There was a school in Tennessee, a school district in Tennessee. They were selling off their computers. And I was like, man, I'll take 140 of them. So because I bought so many, I got them at a good price. So I told my sister and my brother, I'm like, I'm going to ship these to you guys' house. You guys post them on Facebook, uh, uh, Facebook Marketplace offer up i'll make a website you guys get the sale just kick me the money when it comes boom it's been working man 18 days in i sold uh sold 24 computers so far and i'm waiting on the boys and girls club in atlanta to let me know if they want to buy 40 so i might just have like a big deal coming too you know but anytime there's an opportunity to buy something at a low cost and sell it at a high cost man i don't care if it's damn quarter potties bro i'm gonna do it you know Ty, Ty Capital is definitely getting some computers soon. But the crazy <laughs> part about it is this is very, very important because I wrote a blog. I haven't posted this blog yet, but it, it kind of speaks to, like, people need to find something to sell. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have a whole community of people who is struggling and they're looking for jobs when really they just need to find something to sell. And it doesn't matter what that thing is, but the problem is this. The problem is they don't want somebody to hit them with a tweet saying that they're selling old whatever. Yeah. They want they don't want somebody saying, "Oh, uh, you aren't a lawyer. You over here selling bottles of water." Like, no, like you got to be willing to be insulted. You got to be willing to be made fun of because yeah. I'm telling you, you 18 days, you sell 24 computers, you ain't broke. Yeah, but there's so many people that would, <laughs> there's so many people that would rather be broke. Yep. And be out there selling something, right? Because I feel like I feel like sales has a derogatory meaning in the culture, and people make it seem like if you're selling something that you don't have money, or if you're selling something that you're broke, it's just it's complete. Like I know when even when like when I got out of college and I have a degree in finance, and I could only really find sales jobs, and I hated it. I was like, I want to do something different because I didn't really see the value in sales. Like when you sell something, you have unlimited income. Yep. Like you can make money hand over fist. And I feel like we, as a community, knew more about the value of just like finding something at a low price and selling it, no matter what it is, whether if it's port- port-a-potties, whether it's, it doesn't matter, we would not have poverty in the community. So, man, bro, you hit it right on the, you hit it right on the head. So that's exactly what a job is. Wherever you work, whatever you do for work, your job sells something. You just aren't the person that's selling it. So if you right. work for Geico, they're selling the insurance and then you write the claims. You know, like if you work for T-Mobile, they're selling the phone. This is this is how I came up with the idea of selling watches because I was making money in the stock market and, you know, like I'm, I'm pretty young and then you're like, all right, how does, let's say, how is Nike going to grow next quarter or next year, right? Every single company, it all comes down to they're going to sell more of something or sell something new. But the end, the end goal for every single company is to sell something. So that's exactly what a job is. Your job is selling something. You just aren't the you just aren't the intended customer, or you just ain't aren't the buyer. But that's how they get money to pay you for the job. 
you know? So you could cut out the middleman and just say, I'll sell something myself. Right. We gotta we have to end the shame that comes with selling something. I'll never forget yeah. I was uh the way I sell is kind of like the Gary V way. Like I create a brand, I, I create content, I give out value and the sales come to me. Mm-hmm. And I never forget I posted something and I was reading through the comments and somebody said, Oh, don't worry about that. He's just gonna try to sell you something um on the back end or something. And I kind of felt ashamed. I was like, damn, like I feel bad for actually wanting to sell somebody something. Yeah. And I feel like that's the, and I, I think I kind of, in a sense, like scaled back on my marketing a little bit, but it's like Grant Cardone says, he's like, you do people a disservice when you don't sell them something or you do oh, them a disservice man. when you don't charge them. Yep. But we don't realize that because we're just looking for the freebie. We're looking for the handout. We're looking for the free stuff. And we don't realize you actually do your community a service by trying to get everything for free. Mm-hmm. Man, that's, and then it, it just takes one dude to say, I bought this from Charles this is how it changed my life. And then you'd be like, oh, for every one person like this, I'm willing to deal with a million haters. You know, like, as long as you change somebody's life, because if you change somebody's life, you're gonna change their wife's life, their children's life, probably their brother's and sister's life. Like information just, you know, rolls. That's what I see it. Like everybody, you know, like on, on uh, Twitter, people would take shots at me. They'd be like, he's selling Chinese watches. Two, he's selling courses. Three, he's selling brands and you can learn how to do that yourself on YouTube. Four, he's selling computers. Like, bro, I don't care what you say, man. Like that one person that comes and like, hey, bro, thanks for helping me out. You know, like what this one dude told me, he, he helped his mom make $8,000 after he bought um, Six Figure Side Hustle that first month, eight grand. His mom's business was going under. I'm like, bro, I'd deal with every hater for that. You know, like that's cool with me. Mm. That is cool.